Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Deacon's Roundtable. I'm Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel Catholic Church in Old Mill Creek, Illinois, on Mike 4. And across from me is Deacon Rich Hudzik from the Archdiocese of Chicago, our Vicar of Deacons. And next to him is Deacon Mike Alandi from St. Mary of the Annunciation. And to my left is, of course, on radio, it doesn't matter if you're to my left, right? Uh, Deacon Dave Egan from the Victory Village of Victory Lakes. How's everyone doing here today? Very well. Greg, Thank you. Greg, how are you doing? You. I'm doing great. And uh, we're going to start off with a prayer from uh, Deacon Mike. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday was the uh, Sunday was the, the Pentecost, so it may be appropriate we call upon the Holy Spirit to come upon us, especially on the topic we'll take, and we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and thou shalt be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. In the name of the Father, oh. the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. 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 So we're continuing our talk on some medical issues that uh, that we face are, are as deacons, that we face as patients, that we face as Catholics, that we face as fathers and children and husbands and uh, all the things that we're basically uh, dealing with. And uh, Deacon Dave, where are we going to go today? Well, the first thing that I'd like to um, touch on is a principle called the principle of double effect, because that yeah. actually is something that people deal with all the time in their life, even though they may not know it by that name. And so um, I'm going to be reading from uh, Bucamp and Childress, The Principles of Biomedical Ethics, but you can find the same things written in a whole bunch of books, or as I was informed today, Wikipedia does Wikipedia's a, got it. has a very good job. Okay, so there's four conditions for double effect. The first one, the nature of the act. So what you, the act that you want to do has to be good or at least morally neutral. Then the other aspect is the agent's intention. That you, the agent, that's the person, intends only for the good effect to take place. The bad effect can be foreseen, tolerated, and permitted, but it not, must not be the intention of the agent. There's a distinction between means and effects. The bad effect must not be a means to the good effect. If the good effect were the direct, casual result of the bad effect, the agent would actually intend to have the bad effect instead of the good effect. In proportionality between the good and the bad effect, the good effect must outweigh the bad effect. Um, and that the bad effect is permissible only if there's proportionate reason that compensates for that bad effect. So let me give you a couple of fast examples to put this in perspective. So one of the ones I used to use with um, high school kids that always used to get them riled up is that, that what I wanted to do was eliminate hunger in the world. And that's a very good thing. And so after doing a little bit of work and studying, I find out there's a lot of issues in sort of transporting the goods, and it's also very expensive. So I come to a way to eliminate the hunger in the world by killing half the world's population. You know, and that used to get the kids rather riled up. You know, but that's not allowed because you're using the bad effect to cause the good effect. Um, another example, which is uh, one the of the class... Cla the classic example, of course, is, is uh, a pregnant wo woman needing to have surgery for cancer and what happens with the, well, with the baby or something like that. Okay, maybe. well, no, I'll give you an easy one that actually comes out. Okay. It's just quite common in the hospitals. 
uh, if you have someone has uh, end-stage cancer, that's extremely painful disease. Um, so what the physicians want to do is eliminate that pain, and that's a very good thing. Mm-hmm. Now, how they usually do that is giving opioids, morphine usually in particular. And one of the side effects of morphine is that it causes respiratory depression. And so what they do is they titrate the person to try and alleviate the pain. Uh, but Tit- as, Titrate. So they keep adding more and more morphine to try and eliminate the pain. Um, but when the pain is that severe, you know, they know that if they give that other small amount of morphine, that may cause respiratory depression, and the person may die from that. What's respiratory depression? So that means basically someone stops breathing. I'm your man in the street uh, asking the naive questions. (laughs) Okay, thank you, counselor. (laughs) So, so makes two of us. (laughs) If so, if you give enough morphine, someone's going to stop breathing. Mm. Um, That was not your intent to have them stop breathing and die. Your intent was to stop the pain, but you realize the side effect from the drug may have this cause this condition. You know, but your intent is good. And so that's one of the things that a lot of people face all the time, and it's you know really draining on both the medical personnel and the families that you don't want to have the person in pain because it's an extremely painful disease. But you realize that if you alleviate the pain to the full extent that you're able to, the person's going to die. You know, I kind of had a similar issue when my father was in hospice because he was in pain, but he's in, ho- he's in hospice, and I started thinking to myself, why are you holding back on the drugs? He's going to die. He's in pain. He's never going to be an addict. <laughs> and so you're sitting there thinking, you know, why are you holding back on the medication? You know, if, if, if you, know, you, you don't want to intentionally kill him, but why should he be in pain? Why should we, why should we, so, why do we need to be ultimately conservative on this, on someone we know that is in the dying process? Yeah, and, you know, and that's a great debate that hasn't been going on for a long time. And there's a wide range of opinion in the medical field on how to do that. So, so Deacon Hudzik, if I can cross-examine you for a moment. The, uh, we're on a Deacon show. We're talking about Catholic, Catholic faith and, 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 and from a Deacon's perspective. Why are we talking about double effect and issues like that? How, 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 do, you just, how do you reconcile the two? Well, I was, I was going to ask uh, Deacon David that, that well, go ahead. Very, very sort. Of, I'll ask him <laughs> that sort of question, and that is, the principle of double effect is is, is part of our Catholic moral Teaches. theology. Yes, it's part of our uh, philosophy. It's part of our theology. It's it's part of the way we think about these conflicted issues. It's it's, but it's not merely. Uh, I've got air quotes there. If you if you can't see that out in Radio Land, but it's not only a Catholic thing. Is it? This it's a universal healthcare principle. As a matter of fact, I have around the table three different books, and from very different perspectives. Um, one is a Catholic perspective, another one is a Christian perspective, and the third book is also a Christian perspective. But you can look through a lot of the case studies; you'll see that it crosses many different religions. But, but yet, it's not it's not a it's not a, a method of analysis that's, that's universally held across the board, uh, particularly outside the Catholic world. There would be those who would say, you know, uh, don't confuse me with your principle of double effect, Deacon. It's just 
you 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 look to alleviate the pain. You look for a utilitarian sort of outcome is that we're going to act to uh, you know it ultimately gets you into the euthanasia. And uh, my in answer to Greg, why are we deacons talking about this this principle of double effect? I think one of the issues I think to be raised is. Uh, who knows about this? Uh, in the broader culture, in the secular world, are you are you speaking intelligibly when you're talking about principle of double effect? Is there not education that we need to do? Oh, I think that there's a lot of education. I mean, if I was putting it something simple, um, so I'll use Greg's father again. So that uh, if and when you said, okay, I wanted to eliminate the pain, you know, and that was the goal. You could do that, go with a knife and just stab him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but is that the human thing to do? Is that the morally acceptable thing to do? You'd achieve the same end, but you're you're using an evil means, using a bad means to cause the good effect that you want. So therefore, your intent was actually bad. And so you, you used a, a word or two there that, that triggers a, a, re, a Catholic response in me, and that's you're talking about. You, you asked, is that a human thing to do? Um, no, it's not. Uh, is there uh, the sanctity, the dignity of the human person that's ignored when you're not careful, such as using the principle of double effect? Yes, I mean it, the whole point. For example, in medicine, the whole point is to save lives. That is the goal. And there are times that you have reached your skills and there's nothing else that you can do. You've done everything possible for the person. They are still a person and you have to respect that life that is there and the gifts that they have given the world and the world has given them. And and if you want to go from the Catholic perspective, that gift was from God. And how do we treat that gift? So going back to what Deacon Hudzik said, We've had introductions to this, which is tenfold more than the average person who goes to church on Sundays. How do we bring this material to the people? Because you're not supposed to do it in homilies, right? You're supposed to talk about the readings that Sunday. And when are you, so you have it on a Sunday meeting, they're not showing up. So how do we get this information out? So one of the things that I used to do when I was uh, assigned to a parish, every once in a while, I would have like a, a Sunday lecture on, you know, healthcare ethics. And there were some other people who were sitting on the ethics committee with me that were actually members of the parish as well. And we would just talk about, you know, some of these issues. There's also things like the senior groups that get together that people would invite you to come and talk to and help, you know, things called pulse forms and um, like sort of end-of-life wishes. Five wishes is one of them. And so there are methods to get this information out but a lot of times where it really came out was a one-on-one when someone sort of knew your background mm-hmm. in church and they said i'd like to talk to you yeah and i, I think that the other problem is that you as you mentioned seniors think about this and what we said last month it's an issue to anyone 18 and older for for uh information adult you know all the legal aspects and also it's a, it's from 
baby all the way until till senior. If you bring talk about Alfie and all those other things we're going to yeah, talk so about in a little bit, it, it's not just a senior issue, but it's like everything else in our culture of death. You don't think about that until later. Let's put that conversation so off until it's an emergency. I mean, one of the things I think you're right, and it was one of the things from our local high school that um, when the police said once, he goes. If you look at the statistics, approximately every six years there's a fatal accident with some kids from high school. And he said that his guess what was going on is that the kids that were in high school when that took place, it really made an impact on them and probably the class that was coming in as well. And said then people sort of watch how they're driving and there's usually not one. And then after that memory fades, there's another one. And it's just how do you col- how the dilemma that they were facing? How do they keep the collective memory going so that it, people learn from other one other past mistakes? Deacon Mike, is there a cultural perspective that we we miss on this as well? I don't know if it's cultural. What uh, I'm saying is, do do the, our Hispanic community are they more in touch, less in touch, or different aspects? So, our, our European uh, aspects that we, you know, in our side of Chicago, we have so many different faith communities. Uh, do we do we address one and assume it's going to hit all of them and and miss the target for everyone? Or what's your perspective uh, on that? I think in my culture, a lot of them are in the medical field, and they may be a little bit more aware of these issues. Okay. I'm not too sure about the other cultures. Well, how about St. Mary the Annunciation? How's the word? How's the world? How is the word getting out on on these type no. of issues? No. You don't talk about it. You no. know, I think it should be part. Well, one of the things that struck me is you have deacons writing uh, on the Sunday bulletin. Okay, two of them. Maybe one of the topics, maybe an ongoing topic, would be end of life issues. I know Jim Miner has been very good in our particular area with a uh, Deacon Tim Jim Miner, a Prince of Peace, has been very good with uh, advanced directives and getting it out mm-hmm. in conjunction with Victory Lakes. Mm-hmm. But uh, perhaps that's something you were going to say. Yeah, Greg, you, you used the phrase uh, referring to the our culture as being the culture of death and yet resistant to talking about death. It seems paradoxical. Uh, you know, is it is culture of death an apt name, or is it a culture of uh, uh, of ignoring <laughs> death? Yes. You know, um, that, not that we 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 dwell on death. Nobody's advocating that here. I don't uh, I don't think, um, but we're advocating a a holistic view of of life. Which, golly gee whiz, it it ends this side of heaven. It ends with with death. Um, and that's that's that that education piece I'm I'm talking about. You asked, you know, how do we get the the word out? I think it's such a massive project. Uh, whether it's uh, you know, it, it's another dimension of respect life, is it, is it not? And and how do you begin to uh, inculcate those those values? And I do think that the homily may be a place to uh, point out um, how. The beauty of what we're called to um, is uh, is exemplified or, or arises out of the gospel. Um, these are not just abstract principles that somebody thought up and 
imposed from above. This, uh, this arises out of the gospel and respect for the human person and that, that dignity. Um, but yet, when I, you think of, the, you know, who's the competition? The Daily Show and, and Bill Maher. Um, you know, how do these kinds of conversations, how does that play there? Um, this is, this, we're speaking a foreign language. But even on a fundamental point, I mean, whether it's Catholic social teaching or the, the Catholic bioethics, we always start with dignity, like you said. Mm-hmm. And how often does the conversation even use the word dignity? Right. And, and that's fundamental to what the church's position on all these is yeah. that everyone has an inherent dignity being a child of God. Right. You can't use it. You can't lose it. You can't earn it. It's yours forever. And, and But how do we have that conversation? So There's actually one other part of the conversation, which is sort of interesting that you can have with that that throws in so you have a catholic physician and they're going by their moral principles and you have a patient that comes in and demands something that's against their moral principles and that has been a big dilemma especially in training of new physicians uh there was a whole gamut in new york dealing with uh, some other things we can talk about that one after our break All right, this is WSFI 88.5 on your FM dial and also www.sficatholicradio.org. We're going into our first break, and we hope you will join us when we get back. This is the Deacon's Roundtable. Catholic High School is inviting their graduates of the class of 1968 to come back home on June 2nd. The 1968 Planning Committee, along with the Alumni Association, is hosting the Carmel High School for Girls and the Carmel High School for Boys, who graduated 50 years ago in 1968. It will be a terrific celebration, but we need to find you. If you are a graduate of Carmel from 1968 or know someone who is, contact Carmel for more details. You can go online to CorsairAlumni.org or call 847-388-3390. Your 50-year high school reunion only happens once. Don't miss the fun on June 2nd. Call 847-388-3390 for all the details. Hello, I'm Bill Wennington from the Church of St. Mary's and the Chicago Bulls. I I believe Catholic radio is important for all of us out there listening to help us through days when maybe our faith is being challenged by many different obstacles that are put in our way. And it's a chance to reflect and just think and hear stories from other people that maybe are going through the exact same issues that we are going through and how they have struggled and how they are getting through their problems today. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online 
at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. And we're back, WSFI 88.5 on your FM dial. And we're talking with the Deacons Roundtable. I have Deacon Hudzik from the Archdiocese of Chicago, our Vicar of Deacons. I have Deacon Michael Andi from St. Mary of the Annunciation and Deacon Dave... Egan. Egan. <laughs> What's <laughs> it's been a long week. Deacon Dave Egan from Vic, the Village of Victory Lakes, and I am Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel. Welcome you to our discussion that we have on some of the medical eth- ethics that... Uh, that we face as deacons, or we should be facing as deacons, and as our as our our brothers and sisters in the pew are facing as mom and dad and sister and brother and child and all those issues. And uh, Deacon Hudzik, in our last section, you were talking about our culture of death or our culture of avoidance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could also go for our culture of avoiding suffering. Sure. Whereas, but in our faith, a avoidance of suffering is not necessarily the way to go. Although it's it's not something that we necessarily aspire to in some kind of twisted sense that uh, you know heap the suffering on me. It's it's not a goal. It's uh, it's something that's part of human life that we uh, seek to understand in light of the. Uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. We we align our suffering with with our Lord's, but we don't we don't seek it as, as I say in some perverted way. That, in fact, I'm I'm thinking I was reading uh, in doing my show prep, uh, reading a, a letter from the Illinois bishops, uh, 2001 document about facing the end of life, and, and they made reference to that. Is that by no means can we be understood to be advocating of oh just quit your whining, just take your pain, and in fact, seek some pain. That there's, that's 180 degrees removed from, from what we're saying here. Um, pain, is, pain is to be avoided. Uh, pain is to be uh, alleviated, if, if possible, while maintaining the dignity of the individual. But uh, it's, uh, it's not a good uh, that we seek in and of itself. Why did I... In my thinking of Deacon Mike's homilies at the moment, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> 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 But one of the things that's also um, one of the observed phenomena in hospitals is that depending on the culture of the person, there's a different level of pain tolerance and what someone's willing to admit. And generally, if you have someone from the Asian cultures, they tend to tolerate, they're willing to put up with a lot more pain than... Um, you know, traditional patients in the United States. Definitely me. I cry just walking into the entrance to the door. So it's just. Uh, so, but I mean, that's so. Um, that's always a th- that, you know, if someone from a different culture says that they have a little pain, that raises eyebrows very high, 
you know, depending, you know, who the primary caregiver is. Whereas with other people, um, you know, they could be, they would say they were on a scale of 10 in pain and, you know, the quote unquote normal person would say, oh, that's a two, maybe a three. So Dave, where you're talking about cultures and, and how that may play in the medicine and faith and beliefs, do you have an example that might uh, come up with so, something like that? Well, I that? think there's a couple ones that we were sort of discussing over the uh, music that I brought uh, uh, in. So we said before the last break about New York. So one of the things that took place a couple years ago, and I don't know, remember all the details, but um, to be certified in the state of New York uh, mm-hmm. for ob um the physicians had to perform abortions, even over their moral objections. If and when they did not, they would not be certified as an ob physician in the state of New York. And that caused a major dilemma saying that how can you ask me to break my moral guidelines my moral feelings and do this what I consider an immoral act to practice my profession even if I am never going to do this in my life within my profession why do I need to do this and I think that the challenge out there is where are the lines where the clear-cut Education. If you go back to Sher- uh, Terry Schiavo years ago, you had Catholics on both sides of the argument. What is the person's, how do you follow the magisterium when the magisterium is kind of seen on both sides of the argument? Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, and I think that as we go further in our understanding and things that we can do in medicine, those questions are going to be raised much more so. I mean, right now, because of the uh, things, I don't think there's even a definition at this point of when does life end. I mean, is it brain death? Is it cardiac death? Um, You know, with the way we have some of the uh, tests for genetics, is it cellular death? Isn't uh, brain death, though, generally accepted by most Catholic theologians or the oh, oh, National yes. Catholic Bioethics no, it, Society. It, it is. Think, so, yeah. uh, yeah. But, you know, so say if you have someone who's, um, you know, brain brain dead, that there's no waves and you've, they've failed all the 10 tests that are necessary for the determination of brain death, and so you remove the respirator and they start breathing spontaneously. You know, and so at that point, the person is brain dead with a beating heart. You know, and so that would be your classic vegetative state. Mm-hmm. And they aren't going to, the only thing that's going to happen is that eventually the heart muscle is going to give out. It's another example that is that the life that we live is not black and white, and we didn't get a rule book. <laughs> <laughs> so. So as, it, as, it, as I've gotten older, I would be willing to say there's very little black and white, and the vast majority is gray. But yet, it does not paralyze us in, in seeking aiming for the good we, we we know the goal it's what what may be murky at times is is the best path of of getting reaching there. that goal yeah yeah without question and this this notion about uh you know education and uh, requirements for medical certification i think again go back to uh the the keen need for uh conversation about this uh, in, in the parishes, in the church, 
the, the notion of religious liberty uh, falls on deaf ears if 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 nobody is attuned to. Um, but isn't this ordinance or this 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 requirement in an East Coast state to be nameless? under the governor who professes to be a Roman Catholic, right? I couldn't say. I don't... Uh. Yeah. So, maybe, but I think the medical profession really does try to respect religious beliefs. Um, yeah. I remember one case study that I was uh, dealing with was a woman that essentially was at the sort of end of life. She's was in a nursing home, in and out of the hospital numerous times with infections, and they were some serious infections. And so trying to control one of the infections, um, and she had no relatives, just a friend who was her um, decision maker, healthcare of attorney, and the physicians wanted to cut off one of her legs due to gangrene. That was one of the leading causes of the sepsis in her, and the uh, healthier power of attorney said absolutely no, and they try to say, well, also it's just futile treatment of what we're trying to deal with, and this argument went on for conservatively five months, and I mean numerous times in and out of the hospital, and the end what happened was she was talking to the POA was talking to a um, a social worker and a chaplain, and. We got into some of the questions about, well, why doing this? Okay, medically, it doesn't make sense. She goes, well, for her to go to heaven, she has to go in with a whole body. And I made the promise to her that I would do everything I could. And once the physicians heard the rationale that she wasn't being irrational as far as demanding the medical care, but the reason behind it, they much more respected mm-hmm. her viewpoint and did what they could. And eventually the poor woman died, you know, shortly after that. But they didn't do the surgery, uh, realizing that, you know, it probably wouldn't hasten her death. But they were doing it to respect the religious wishes of the people involved. And that's a big challenge for the uh, health care power of attorney, is that it's not the health care power of attorney's wishes or religious beliefs it's it's them speaking it's the for the words for the patient or speaking for the patient who can't speak for themselves and uh, that's uh, why it's also very important to have these conversations before and and uh, if you're going to be a healthcare power of attorney you need to know how the person feels what they believe and it's your job to do that now at the same time, I think if you go into the ethical directives even they address what if the person is asking you to do something that is fundamentally a moral evil or something like that in the Catholic Church, what do you do then as a, as a, uh, a uh, power of attorney? I have two points to interject before you answer that. Yes, Counselor. One is, uh, Deacon David, are you suggesting that the, the, the need to have an, uh, an entire body uh, is prerequisite for entering heaven under the <laughs> no this okay. was this, okay. this was the, I'm not saying this woman was Catholic okay. Okay. but that was what okay. her belief okay. was okay all right uh, and okay and that's that's uh, a good clarification though okay okay, <laughs> okay. I just want to be, be sure okay what we're, what I, we're I my fault my so call never stop being a lawyer secondly secondly <laughs> you mentioned the ethical directives what is what is a ethical directive okay so the ethical directives uh, in front of me they are a set of Ethic, it's called the Ethic and Religious Directives. They were put out by the bishops in 
I don't remember exactly. 2009 was the last one. That came okay. Out. And thank you. And it goes through um, realistically five different parts. One is the social responsibility of Catholic health care services. Um, things like commitment to promote human dignity, care for the poor, contribute to the common good. Part two is the pastoral and spiritual responsibilities of health care. That it's the health care is to look at the extent of the total person, not just the medical, but so the physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. That they should have pastoral care staff for themselves, for the patients, the families, um, and that the staff has appropriate education, and that sacramental ministry is available to all Catholics in there. The professional patient relationship, mutual respect, confidentiality, um, the dignity of the per this is probably to answer one of the questions earlier, the dignity of the person is respected regardless of health problems or social status, including race, color, creed, ancestry, religious, sex, or sexual orientation, handicap, or source of payment. So what the challenge that I have with the ethical directives, which I am a big fan of the ethical directives, I love that, I thought they were all done. <laughs> the challenge I have is that they're, they're written for healthcare professionals, and theologians know them as well, and with all respect to the boys and, and ladies over at Mundelein, I don't care that they know them. I'm worried about the people at St. Raphael, whether they know them or not. And we, we have this wonderful document that so few people know about. And, and, it, and yes, our healthcare institutions need to know them and do them. But you know what? When you're bringing grandma, your mother, your daughter into the emergency room, the last thing you're thinking about is, is that pamphlet on the shelf that says, if you're Catholic, here are your ethical directives. So, it's, they're, so they're great, they're wonderful, but they, like many things in our faith, were presented poorly, and they forgot the people. So when you have an entree in a public forum, such as a homily, to uh, mention one of the seven key themes of Catholic social teaching, such as the, uh, the, uh, the dignity of the individual, that is a, a natural segue into mentioning the ethical and religious directives without being pedantic about it. Um, and pedantic means what? Uh, to be uh, overbearingly pompous, uh, educatingly... <laughs> uh, professorial. <laughs> professorial, there you go. Uh, pontificating. Um, so I, I think, yes, it, it's... But the, there's that... The same level of frustration of, of many of the treasures of, of the church that um, that we wish we could expound upon uh, or introduce people to so they could see the beauty of, of the riches, the intellectual riches of, of the church. It, it's not just the ethical religious directives, but wouldn't it be terrific if people knew the documents of Vatican II, um, if they knew the encyclicals? Um, there's just so much good stuff there, uh, and we just have to chip away at that uh, what needs to be known. So, so Mike, what do you do to chip away at this? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Mike. The way, the way I deal with it is, it, it could be too sophisticated for people, but the family around the person who's suffering have a lot of things affecting them too. Okay? They, they feel bad about it, they feel depressed, they feel they sympathize with the patient, they, 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 don't, they don't know what to do. And the way I look at it is, I look at it from a from the perspective of all this suffering, okay, around this person has a purpose. And as we know, 
there is a redemption, a redemptive purpose to all these sufferings. And I use that as a, as a way of, of, of evangelize, evangelizing the rest of the family. So in 2018, it's 2018, right? 2018. All are, year. Are, peop- <laughs> are people calling the rectory and saying, hey, let's have a conversation on this? Because I know we have some wonderful mm. ministers of care at, at St. Raphael that are waiting for those phone calls. No. They're not coming in. No. Are, are the ministers of care themselves um, attuned to to some of the stuff that we're talking about? No, but it's a start, isn't it? That mm-hmm. we, if we bring Jesus into the conversation, oh, oh, sure, we bring sure. Jesus into the into the, the household, isn't that an opening? Right. right. So, now, I mean, one of the things that a lot of people don't do is that when they go just see their physician for like a normal exam, um, one of the things that I noticed in my physician's office was that um, asking the question, do you want advanced directives? You know, do you, you know, the physician or even one of the people in the office can help you deal with it, explain some of the issues with that. I mean, usually where the person that it falls to traditionally has been chaplains in hospitals. And more often than not, it's actually even a crisis situation. Um, and especially if you're in the ER, you know, and you get the page to go down to the ER, it's like, okay, you know, Take a breath, say a prayer, and see what I'm facing. No, that's hardly the ideal uh, oh, it, no, venue. Oh, it is. But I mean, but that's, that's, but that's the, reality, the real world's reality. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's, um, I mean, I can't imagine what, you know, what it must be like to be a chaplain in uh, Cook County Hospital. Mm-hmm. But know? even, even at, at a place like the Village of Victory Lakes, where you're the deacon, how often are you called into these conversations too late or stumble upon them? Oh. A lot of people have had these conversations because we make a point of actually bringing someone in every once in a while to go to go through these and sort of help people. And a lot of the residents know that, you know, if they have a question, I'll be glad to uh, help them any way I can. And it's sort of just going from there. And again, it is sort of a crisis thing sometimes when someone's in the healthcare section and something comes up and, you know, we talk through it. And the next crisis we're going to deal with is our break. So we're talking about uh, some medical issues with uh, our our deacons and our our parishioners. You're on uh, WSFI 88.5 FM. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back after this break. Catholic High School is inviting their graduates of the class of 1968 to come back home on June 2nd. The 1968 Planning Committee, along with the Alumni Association, is hosting the Carmel High School for Girls and the Carmel High School for Boys, who graduated 50 years ago in 1968. It will be a terrific celebration, but we need to find you. If you are a graduate of Carmel from 1968 or know someone who is, contact Carmel for more details. You can go online to CorsairAlumni.org 
or call 847-388-3390. Your 50-year high school reunion only happens once. Don't miss the fun on June 2nd. Call 847-388-3390 for all the details. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Deacon's Round Table, WSFI 88.5 FM, and I got look at the phone number. I still want to give out Angela's phone number while we're doing this, but I guess she wouldn't want me to do that. Um, we're talking about some medical ethics, because of course in the news of the last week, we heard all last week, couple weeks, we've heard about uh, the young child, the second young child of the news that was uh, in, coming from England, where the government was saying, "Hey, it's take them off, take them off the the, the report." So we have Alfie, who's a 23 year old. Uh, 20 month, 23 month old boy, sorry, a young child with a severe degenerative neurological conditions. Alfie's parents wanted to take him out of, out of the uh, out of the country, and uh, the doctors in Liverpool said no, that would be a burden for him, and that there's nothing more that could be done for Alfie, right? So that they went to the court. The high court ruled that uh, it's Alf, it's in Alfie's best interest to die, and that's a quote from the Catholic News Service, and then the. Uh, so the Court of Appeal, the Supreme Court, and the European Court of Human Rights all sided with the the governing government and not the parents. So last week or so, uh, Alfie was uh, they they took away the breathing support from Alfie, and the New York Times actually said they took him away from sustenance. sustenance and a couple days, Alfie was uh, breathing after they took away the breathing tube, and a couple days later, Alfie died. So this is a very complex, but it's a case that's so relevant because we had Pope Francis on one side saying, hey, why aren't the parents part of this? We're going and he orchestrated a, a Vatican hospital that would take Alfie, even though the Vatican hospital said, we agree, there's probably nothing we can do for the child. But they didn't want to just call it an end. And you also had Cardinal uh, Vincent Nichols of England saying, wait a second, you're politicizing this, and there's a lot more issues going on. So even we had the magisterium, just like with Sherry Schiavo, had people not coming out in a consistent talk. And then, of course, the 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 of course we feel we feel for for young uh, for the parents of Alfie and uh, having to deal with this and, and the the 19 months of of uh, uh, the ordeal that they were dealing with this. And of course, we pray for the repose of the soul of Alfie Evans, and we believe that he is he is in a better place now anyway. But there's there's just in the last few 30 seconds, 40 seconds, I came up with five or six different. <laughs> 
classical bioethical issues, but the primary one is who decides. And in, now it's also, this is a uh, United Kingdom law. This is not how it would be in the United States yet, but it's something where who decides? I think you're right that there are many, many issues with this case. Um, first, one that you addressed is prognosis. That um, that the disease was going to kill Alfie. The, the question is when. Right. Okay, so that's one issue. The other one is the parents going against medical advice mm-hmm. of the physicians and their expertise. That, uh, can, can I challenge that a little bit? Okay. I believe in going against, that they were going against the, the medical diagnosis. However, I won't accept that the medical advice is it's anyone's best interest to die as I quoted from the Catholic News Service of the 14th day of May 2018. Okay. That's, that's, we got to hold, we okay. got to fight against that one. Okay. No, I see what you're coming from. Uh, the, uh, I guess when I meant against medical advice, the, what the physicians recommended. So then, you know, you're, I think you're right that that set up a whole bunch of moral grounds for disagreement, but it's just, Yes. I was just trying to put these things out on the table. The, the parents definitely thought that Alfie was getting signs of improvement. And they, the, thought, and, they thought there was a and cure And the medical people place. said, no, we're, there are no real tangible signs right. of improvement. Okay. That I'll give you, but, okay. but not the, the, the best interest to die. I'm going to fight you on that one. I didn't say the best <laughs> interest to die. Um, there's also one of the other issues is um, that is now becoming much more prominent is under limited services or limited resources to provide services, how can you do the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people? And so that, unfortunately, be with the cost of health care, both overseas and in this country, is starting to, to become an issue. And... and and having that line there. So why not, if he's terminally, he's, 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 he's in the process of, of dying. In the United States, that would generally mean palliative care. Correct. And, and certainly, if the New York Times quote was correct, of course, we don't know all the, the facts story. where we're in Chicago. They removed sustenance. That oh. is against the, our Catholic social teaching, because even in the vegetative state... Yeah, sustenance I, is, is ordinary care. That's not a big deal. I, so palliative care would have done that until it became a burden, and there was no sign of a burden. I am not. I was not a physician on that case. <laughs> I do not know the exact circumstances, and I do not know if those were a burden. So, and and that, so that's, that's okay. we have so, that limited information. So but. we have very limited information. But um, so I mean, like one of the questions that could. You know, be raised is just on the cost aspect. With all the people that were in um, the UK that are you know, starving from medical care because there's not enough money or resources, um, 
if this is a disease that you're allowing just the outcome of the disease to take place versus using 20% of your healthcare budget for the year for this one patient, you know, that brings a whole other issue into the debate. What is for the greater good? And I don't, I'm just raising right. the question. I don't have any answers. And, and expense is definitely a burden in the ethical directives. Right. But that's an expense but it's to expense the individual. To the, and the family. Right. right. Yes. Right. So, 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 yeah. But, but all medical care has always been a scarce commodity. So yes. this just makes it particularly poignant because it's uh, the the cost is, is, is so huge. And it was a young child. And it was a young child, and it was apparently futile, according to a majority opinion. The medical, yeah. For, for and the medical, yeah. 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 So, so I, I, I can accept and understand that, yes, we're not going to, that further treatment treatments are extraordinary at that point. There's no, nothing's going right. to, to help him. But it, the way it came out in the news, and again, we're sitting here in Chicago, and that's Liverpool, England. And Actually, we got, we're in Libertyville, but uh, that's... Uh. <laughs> Man, I don't like lawyers. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, <clears throat> sitting here in the Archdiocese of, of Chicago, Chicago yeah. and uh, with our neighboring diocese, the Diocese of Rockford, and our, and our listeners from the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, whom we all love here at WSFI. Indeed we do. The... Uh, it, it almost feels like they were signing a death warrant. And, and uh, granted, that's emotions and things that are going on. But that's not the goal of palliative care is to be a death warrant. It's, it's to walk with this person who is through the process. And I, I guess that what worries me is, was did Alfie go through the process or did you terminate it because of a budget? Or wh- how, well, how do we go? And, and I think I, most so. people in general if given a fighting chance, would not, from my experience of watching them, do not care about the budget. If there's a reasonable chance. This is the state of Illinois. No one cares about the budget, yes. <laughs> if you go to the other side, that you're asking it that on the, with the feudal care, there's both, there's feudal, the care actually biologically will not be feudal. There'll be something that'll take place. Will it change the end result? That's the question sure. that you're asking about. And But I don't think you can bring economics into this argument because that wasn't part of the court case. No, no but so you know, dealing Constant. independent of that with the <laughs> with the with the care, do you have if you go into a hospital now, um and have a heart attack, and they decide you need a heart transplant, do you have the right to demand that they immediately find a heart to put into you? I mean, you know, but so, or if and when said, okay, we can get you a heart transplant, but your lungs are completely shot, and your kidneys and your but, liver as well. Is, is that just, the argument, or is the argument you're in, you're in the hospital? No, I'm just talking about futile care. And when, yeah. to, when can you demand something for you personally which costs society even more but but that's we're, we're changing the argument because because the argument that we're saying is we're everyone's agreeing that we can't do more but does that mean we need to, to we do just less. Sa- we just said okay, we okay, can't yeah. give enough morphine to kill the guy but but because this, this guy is going to die we can take off the, the life support and that, and, and hasten uh, that, death. that's what they i hasten death that's here. what i just i guess i was not involved with the medical care <laughs> i well, do you're not next to me you're going to pay the price 
I do not know <laughs> the exact circumstances. I no. wasn't in that hospital room. But isn't 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 the 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 trauma, the 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 heartache here, that this child had the opportunity to go someplace else, at the cost of some other entity, and that the the court said no parents we're going to make this decision in in, in supersession of of what you want for for your own child which we don't want a precedence is what it felt like right uh to 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 what to liberate the children to to fly to another country yes it could be could be um and and if that's the case then uh then alfie has been uh martyred for the sake of uh, avoiding for the state Yeah. yeah yeah so it's 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 really the other players in this scenario beyond Alfie. Uh, the, the other interested parties are, are Alfie's parents, and yeah. uh, you know when we're talking about medical care, the uh, the degree to which the family is is suffering, albeit in a different way, uh, I think is is part of the equation that we need to address as as ministers and, and also as Catholics. In the United States, what's our lesson from this? We can't sit back and just let get, let the cards be dealt to us mm-hmm. how the system's going to be. We have to be part of the solution and say, we're not going to draw the line here at a death panel or however else well, you want to talk about it. So I want to go the bring up a different case, which deals with some of the, the issues from the other's perspective. So... Um, I believe it was a little bit more than a year ago, and I don't remember all the details, but there was a young woman who had glioblastoma. Um, that's a disease that has a 5% survival rate. Um, it's a very mean disease. There's lots of suffering with it. Um, and so she decided that she was going to move to Oregon so that she would have... The, the ability to end her life once the disease started taking over. And you, I, I don't know exactly how long um, Ellen lives, but it's usually much less than a year um, by the time the first symptoms come up and after surgery. And so she is at this point dictating, you know, how long her life should be. You know, so that's sort of the opposite extreme, and we say that was wrong. You know, you have no right to take your life. And, and so the interesting thing, there was a seminarian going through the same issue at one time, who was saying, "Wait a second, life yeah. is sacred. We don't do that." He didn't get much press. No, he got minimal press. But yes, yeah. I do remember that. I actually forgot about that, but now that you bring it up, I do remember yeah. that. You know, so. And how do you deal with that? So if you went into a Catholic institution and said that, I want you to uh, help me with assisted suicide, everyone would say, no, what you're doing is morally wrong. Well, even from a a natural law perspective, we naturally preserve life. If you're trying to take away that life, are we in a depression-type control situation? And I'm speaking way out of this facts here, but, you, you know, do you at, at what point do you have the, the, the Spockian logic to, to be making these decisions or the emotions taking over? But, but certainly as a church, no, we, 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 that is our line, that it is God who, who, who makes these decisions Decision. and not us. Well, you've got the principle of double effect that we talked, started out the conversation with, that it, you're, you're seeking to do the good by through an evil means. Doing evil means. Yeah. yeah. Excellent point. 
So, I mean, but a lot of it is sort of these, you know, sort of daily dilemmas that people face in their lives. And, um, I mean, how many times, you know, with, you know, our parents did we have to go through some of these issues and our children are going to have to go through the same issues with us? Right. You know, it it calls for, you know, just a profound reverence for uh, the struggle that people are going through, either suffering themselves or or loving somebody who is who is suffering in these these sorts of ways that um, it's you know, the folks are confronting questions that are there are no bigger questions uh, than you know, somebody's, the end of somebody's life. And if we're to accompany people, I just just a, a hushed awe and reverence for, uh, for the difficulties that they're, that they're going through. Um, it, it really calls you to grow up and to be, uh, to try to be your best, to be of, of service to, to people in these kinds of situations. And it's a bottom line situation. I mean, this is where your faith you know, faith hits the road here at mm. this point. What do you believe? And as Father Barron says, if Jesus Christ is God, you have to mm. follow. Mm. And uh, that's one of the fortunate things that we've been blessed with is that we've been saved that as a church, as ministers, as clerics, we want to walk this journey with you because we know that Jesus will walk this journey with you. You're never alone on this journey. We need to look at God at all things, God in the bad things as well as the good things. And uh, it is important that we that uh, people going through this know that they have their deacons, they have their priests, they have their lay ministers who are uh, may not be doctors but they certainly want to be there and pray with you and to to go through this experience with you and god bless the people in hospice and pals of care who 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 do such a miracle work of walking through this journey with people but uh, for those who are listeners here at wsfi if these are issues you're going through call your call your church call your parish office call wsfi call someone and 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 open that door to to Jesus Christ at this time in your life because he will be there with you. Mike, we're talking about Jesus being with us. We're talking about the end of our life. We're talking about these faiths. Only at our last couple seconds, we have to end on another prayer. Yes. One of the things we we talked about is the anointing of the sick. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, please, uh, Help us, enlighten us, give us the strength, the knowledge, and the courage to talk to our deacons and priests when we have issues, end-of-life issues. This we pray. Through Christ Christ. our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is WSFI. Thank you for listening to the Deacons Roundtable. My name is...